Our thoughts today are going to be primarily from 1 Peter. Well, that's our main text, but I'll be in a lot of Scripture. But you might well want to open to 1 Peter, and we'll be quoting and doing several things from that passage, but not always putting it on the screen for you. Other thing I'd like to say, it's up to you. This message was a puzzle to me a little bit because of the way the Lord unraveled it. And there'll be parts of it you'll say, what's that got to do with me maybe? But I believe the Holy Spirit is at work in any congregation and he has something he wants to say to you. So I want us to look to the Lord in prayer and just ask the Lord to speak to us in the way he wants to. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the music and the worship and the prayer and the scripture. We've been to church. We've been, we're in church. We've had church. We are the church. But teach us more. Teach us new things from your word. And encourage us to be salt and light in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text, again, is First Peter chapter 2. I want to read it, just a little bit abbreviated version. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Live such good lives that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So what's our reason for being here on earth in the first place? Or why does God leave us here instead of taking us right away to heaven? As if that's maybe what salvation is all about. I have my doubts. That's all it's all about. Well, many of you know the great first question of the shorter catechism. What is the chief goal of human beings? Answer. The main goal of human life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Catechism 101. We had the group here, I think it was last Sunday, uh, that had just finished their catechism. I want you to hear again from Eugene Peterson's rendition of uh, this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Well, in the first service, we had the baseball team here from the Genesee Rapids, so I threw in this little story. 61 years ago, I felt rejected. My brother probably was around, but he didn't care about baseball at that time. We moved to Wellsville between my third and fourth grade years. And so when we got there, I had missed out in tryouts for Little League. So the next year, I tried out. I was still eligible. I went to the practice field, and there were all these little guys running around, mostly fourth graders. And um, the coaches had their fifth graders already. They had their sixth graders already. All they cared about was the new crop of fourth graders. And you know where I got left out, in the cracks. And nobody chose me. Now, I think Little League has rules about that now, but uh, I was rejected. To this day, I remember it. 
And you can tell it's a big deal because I still remember it. I can see the field. But hey, (laughs) there's wonderful news that's way more important. If by the grace of God we've decided to believe in Christ and we've accepted his universal invitation to new birth and new life in his kingdom, we are very special. We are chosen and we are on a select team. We see this so emphatically in this passage in Apostle Peter's letter. It's a letter to ordinary Jewish and Gentile Christians across the uh, Asia Minor, the world we know as Turkey today, in the first century. What gives them their status? Well, if you look back in chapter 1 in 1 Peter, he also uses these words, you have been chosen. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead into an inheritance that will never perish or fade away. That's our status. What's our position? I wanted to be an outfielder. Well, there's a better position in this kingdom. Peter piles it on. It's not just one role, but four in a sense. Verse 9, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, Belonging to God. I think it's important to note that this isn't a list of things for the pastors or for the bishops or for the leaders. This was a letter to all the saints. This is for all believers. We're all this. We're all given first string high status. And of course, these titles drip with Old Testament meaning from the Pentateuch, from the Psalms, from the prophets. These were the titles given to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And now they're just simply transferred to the church. So the next question then is, what is the church's assignment? And that's why we're here. That's what I want us to grasp today. The job of Christians is to parallel in many ways the job God gave the nation of Israel. He chose and called them to be a witness to the rest of the world. And you noticed in our Old Testament scripture, it seems like Peter actually here quotes Isaiah 43. Very parallel. God calls Israel, my people, my chosen people, people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. The Psalms, we know, are the hymn book of the Old Testament people, the nation of Israel. And many of them, like Psalm 105, say... Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known his name among the nations. Make known what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. His people's praise and even their formal temple worship was intended to attract others who were in the dark to worship the one true God of light. So I put in there Isaiah 60. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. seems to me Jesus was so jealous of this witness to the nations that that's why he cleansed the temple uh, on Holy, in Holy Week. I mentioned it on Palm Sunday. That was the court of Gentiles that they were doing business in, and it kept the Gentiles on the outside not being able to hear the praise and the worship of God's people. So now Peter 
picks up this theme and replaces the nation with God's people, the church, us. Now, we we no longer offer animal sacrifices. We don't need to. Jesus has atoned once for all our sins on the cross and the sins of the whole world. So what's our job? We're to offer sacrifices of praise. Our lives are supposed to be so full of worship and praise and good deeds that those on the outside will give glory to God. Peter was there on that day of Pentecost, wasn't he? Acts chapter 2. When the crowds in Jerusalem remarked, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. There they were. They kind of slipped into that job that God had given them. And, of course, Peter was there and remembered well the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't know if he had read Paul's words, but we're familiar with Colossians and Corinthians. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's your message if you tune off now. uh, I can even say, go ahead and leave if you want. Nobody will do it. Here it is. We can boil the mission to worship and glorify God into two areas. We are to, to declare God's praises with our lips and with our lives. Of course, the prerequisite for doing this is allowing the life-changing grace of God at work to do his work in our lives. We have to recognize the darkness of our souls without God, the tragedy of being lost in our sins. No matter how glitzy and pretty and attractive the world may seem or try to make it seem, life without God is empty and void. Do you know? The joy of repentance and faith and the cleansing that God Jesus Christ, gives in Jesus Christ in your life. If you don't, I invite you to drop everything you're doing and find the light of life. But for those of us and most of us here who do know him, we have something to declare. And first we declare it with our lips. Now Peter is all for talking about Jesus. And that's even clear in the later part of his book, chapter 3, verse 15, one of the most familiar verses about witnessing. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and with respect. And this is a great lesson in witnessing. We don't uh, witness by bashing people over the head with our Bibles. Or I think by fantastic arguments, although there's good courses in apologetics and we need to know how to witness. Actually, that's not my thrust and point today. I want to emphasize corporate worship as the church. Even singing. You've heard some singing. You've done some singing. I think it's a vital declaration to the world about our God. God is worthy of our worship. He's our number one joy and priority in life. Think of it. Think of his creation, his power, his love, his patience, 
his plans, his purposes, his provision of salvation, his comfort in the time of need. On and on we could go. And as Pastor West stresses so often, our view of God impacts every aspect of our lives. Our worship demonstrates to others what we think about God. And I think the local congregation of God's people is crucial in witness to the world. Not only I think that. British missionary Leslie Newbegin, one of my favorite authors, he was a a British pastor and theologian, spent 30-plus years in India, and had many stories of low caste, high caste, all kinds of conversions and church planting and success. But here's an important statement he makes. One factor was common to all. It was the presence of a believing, worshiping, celebrating congregation of people deeply involved in the ordinary life of their neighborhood. It was the work of the Spirit present in the light of life of the congregation flowing out into the community through the faithful words and deeds of its members. And so we're so blessed here at Houghton. And many churches in our area, and maybe churches you know all around the world, how well this congregation, though, gathers and sings God's praises. This is huge. Don't take it for granted. I say thank you to our musicians, who they could could up here and show off, but their main interest is the participation of the congregation in singing and in worship. We're blessed. And you know, around the world, the spread of the gospel globally, and especially in the 20th and 21st centuries, has been so blessed by the diverse music and worship of the church. We call it ethnomusicology and missiology and the study of music and all different genres and styles. And there are even whole missionary careers can be be done by helping people write and do scripture and music and so on. It's a major player in why the gospel is spread all around the world, our world today. I have a favorite Australian author, John Dixon, his little book, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission. And in this book, he tells two stories that I want to just relate of non-believers, quote, accidentally drawn to faith in Christ by the mere simplicity and genuineness of being exposed to Christian worship. A BBC commentator, journalist, and author explained that she was too busy, too hungry and grasping to live it up for any commitment to Christ. Yet she and her husband stumbled into an evensong service in an Anglican church where the combination of prayers, scripture readings, psalms, even choral anthems captured them and brought them from their busy, frantic lives to quiet faith in Jesus. A beautiful story. He tells a second one, another friend of his, who was an atheist, and said to him, John, don't bother trying to convert me. But visiting a a contemporary worship service to please a friend at a child's baptism, this woman was struck by the overpowering spiritual feeling, she called it. It was, it was kind of a new agey thing in the quotation. But the impact that service had on her, suddenly the once despised church that she had maybe visited a church once or twice in her life, pulled her in. 
And she soon joined a Bible study. And before long, her mind was drawn irresistibly to Christ. So Dickens, Dickens, Dixon, we'll leave Dickens out of this. Dixon likens this to the Old Testament role of the temple praise in front of the nations. And he calls it doxological evangelism. That is, proclaiming the gospel through our declarations of God's doxa or God's glory. Think about this next time you sing the doxology. That's a great moment in our worship, not just a little, well, let's get that in before the offering. The congregation rises and sings, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Who does that? People who know God. And think about it next time you simply invite a friend to church. I know we, we used to say, well, you've got to take evangelism out of the church and get out into the street. Well, that's coming. Hang on to this sermon. Got a few minutes before 12. But I believe doxological evangelism, that is the singing, worshiping church, has a role to play. Don't underestimate the power of song and of worship. What's the writer of Hebrews say? Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. And once again, Paul writes, You were once in darkness. This is in Ephesians. But now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of the light. And he goes on to say, Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doxological evangelism. Now, we don't always sing this evangelism in church or only in the congregation or only when we're all dressed up and feeling good on Sunday morning. Hope you are. You've got to love Paul and Silas in Philippi. Flogged and put in prison at night, it's midnight, no lights, in a dingy inner cell, feet locked in stocks. And what are they doing? Praying and singing hymns, the the book of Acts says, to God. And it says the other prisoners are listening. Listening. God's got such a charge out of this that he sent an earthquake and freed the prisoners and converted the jailer, and there was a real revival because a couple of guys were singing in prison. I said in the early service, we had such a rocking good time. Well, we tried in this service too, remember? Praise his name. I thought maybe God might send an earthquake right here and we could call it a day. Book of Acts, chapter 16, I call it my first doxological evangelism case study, right there. Someone that I don't quote on all topics, John Piper, did get at it when he said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. I say, when we do bold, genuine worship, we're doing mission. Well, we can't spend our whole lives in church on Sunday morning or singing in the church choir. And Peter makes it clear, moving right down to verse 12, 
that we are to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So it's not only with our lips, but with our lives that we declare the praises of God. Peter describes in this book, as you well know, we could study it for for a whole semester, many ways of practical Christian living. Just to hear verse 13, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's servants, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor, and so on. There is so much specific teaching here And later, even up to chapter 4, we're talking about the spiritual gifts. He says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. Chapter 4, verse 8. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So instead of doing this whole study, I'm just leaving this with you. Study it. Your whole life is to be a declaration of prayers, uh, praise. Pastor Wes asked our staff, I think last year or the year before, to read a little book by Mark Laberton, The Dangerous Act of Worship. Laberton says, Worship means dwelling where God's heart is and showing it in the lives that embody his loving righteousness and merciful justice. The book was saying that it's our practical everyday lives of kindness and goodness and justice and mercy is where our worship is extended He finishes, worship is to be the one activity that sums up the scope of our lives. Plainly, everything we do at work, at family, at play, is a declaration of our praise to God. This audience may not be all the ones who wanted this, but I've heard Coach Dave Lewis Lewis say that you play soccer When you're playing soccer, you're worshiping the Lord if you're a Christian. I scratched my head about that some, but the more I think about it, it's true if you're doing it unto the Lord and bringing glory to him. It is part of worship. I see it one after a game where they lost. The team gathers around, sings a song, and prays. And that was an act of worship to the Lord. So I see it when any Christian athlete plays their heart out in a rule-abiding, kind, good way. Remember Olympic runner Eric Little? God made me fast, and when I run fast, I guess I'll quite again. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Remember that quote from Eric Little? So if it's true for sports, it's true in all our endeavors. J.S. Bach wrote on, the great, uh, on many of his great manuscripts of church music, and I guess on many of his music, even non-church music. Soli Deo Gloria. How's my Latin? Glory to God alone. And I've heard that so often about him. We too can write over the deeds of our work and our lives, offering praise. God gets the glory. God gets the glory. I see it when a concert pianist points heavenward during the applause for a great concerto. God gets the glory. I see it when a mother and father mop up after the tribe on a long, hot day after the first day of summer and school's out. 
God gets the glory. I see it in a farmer. I drive the last few weeks through the fields taking kids to school in arcade, and I watch the farmers working hard in the fields, harvesting the, the hay now and uh, the other things that are going on. <laughs> God gets the glory. I see it in everything we do. If we do it with God on our hearts and minds, he gets the glory. Probably 90 years ago, a young prize-winning artist attended a revival meeting. You know what a camp meeting is, some of you. And she sensed the call of God and the call of art on her life. And so at the altar on her knees, she opened her hands to God and she sensed a very tangible, almost hurtful burning of her hands, but realized that they were now his hands. Decades later, and hundreds, maybe thousands of paintings later, that artist, my mother, testified and gave God the glory that when aching arthritis was bothering her hands, as she picked up the brush at age 95, the pain disappeared, and she painted on. And when she put it down, the pain would come back. She knew what it meant to do it for the glory of God. Have you given your whole life, your talents, your ambitions, your hands, your body, your work completely to God so he can use it to declare his praise and give him glory in everything you do? Paul said, of course, from very familiar verse, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So I think we can wrap up this lips and lives business. I'm cautious about this, but I think I was mentioning this to my wife, and she mentioned a cantata by J.S. Bach. Cantata number 147. I know you don't all know what it is. But it's the title of the cantata. Now, for our friend's sake here, and where's Goody when I need her? Herz und Mund und Tat und Leben. I get an A-plus for that. It's the title. Heart and mouth and deed and life. That's the title. Can I find it in my mess here? Here's the words of the first verse of the great chorale. Heart and mouth and deeds and life must give testimony to Christ. Do not be ashamed, O soul, to acknowledge your Savior. And I love the last verse, even for the Philippi prisons that we might be in. Jesus shall remain my joy, my heart's comfort. Jesus shall fend off all sorrow. He is the strength of my life, the delight and sun of my eyes, the treasure and wonder of my soul. Therefore, I will not let Jesus go out of my heart and sight. Heart and mouth and work and life, deeds and life. I want to wrap it up also by just uh, quoting a very famous person in a book, Can't Wait for Sunday, Mike Walters. He says this, When we gather on Sundays to worship, that corporate event must be seen as a prelude to be dismissed or scattered to go forth and be the church wherever we find ourselves. I've always been impressed by the growth of the early church in those first centuries. Persecuted, outnumbered, 
minority, the same time that Peter was writing. And British theologian Michael Green writes in Evangelism in the Early Church about the spontaneous lay-led witness of the church that was spread by charity and kindness and good deeds, mercy. And he concludes, Christianity is enshrined in the life, but it is proclaimed by the lips. If there is failure in either respect, the gospel can't be communicated. That's exactly what Peter is urging us to do. To experience Christ. To worship Christ. To declare Christ. To live Christ. I've probably told this story every time I preach because it made such an impression on me. In Sierra Leone, we had many... Muslim young people that came to Christ at our youth camps and so on. But you seldom saw an older person become a Christian. But when we were teaching at the Bible College at uh, Dewey, the same college that Warren Woolsey helped pioneer in 1960s, 1963, there was a Muslim Fula person. Fula is a tribe of people that are 100% Muslim. they all over West Africa. And this fellow was an alien. He was a stranger. He was from Guinea. I've told you this story. But he would walk through our campus or our community to go to work every day. So in the evening, he'd be coming back, and he would find the students sitting under a great big mango tree behind the dining hall where two special lay people, Pa and Ya Fona, probably not educated past fifth grade, if that, but he was our cook trained by the Woolseys and brought down to the Bible College to be the cook. And Pa and Yafona used to hold court there, we called it, because they would just hold conversation with students, married students, kids running around, dogs running around, and just a little quiet place in the evening sun where Christian life was demonstrated to this Muslim, actually Mori man, a, a, a fortune teller. That was his business. And he watched, and he looked. And he also began maybe stopping in on our Sunday night Vespers service. We all went out on Sunday mornings to serve in a variety of churches, but our community came together Sunday night. Simple song, simple Creole choruses, and, and preaching. And Alpha Jala watched. And what a surprise to us the day he became a Christian at a showing of the Jesus film on our campus. And I remember that first testimony that he gave in our evening vespers to the community. He said, I was in the dark, but I have come to the light. That same Alpha went on back to Guinea and actually as a pastor. And uh, heard years later from a missionary up in, New, in Guinea, not New Guinea, Guinea, that, uh, that he was still faithful to the Lord. Can we declare the glory of God with our lips and our lives? And by God's grace, can we do it well? May God help us. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise for the light of the gospel. And that it comes to us, and it has come to us, and we've received it. And we are your people, your holy people, your special people. And you've given us the privileges 
of praising you and sacrifices of praise with our lips, and we've done it even here in this service. And we do it weekly, and we do it regularly, and we gather with your people to be your people for the world to see. May we do it faithfully this week and the rest of our lives. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.